All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 56 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. I'm here, as always, with Michel Brown. Uh, he's very exotic. He's my co-host. How you doing, Michel? I'm doing good. How about you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Um, you know, honestly, at this point, it just kind of seems like it's like the same shit, different day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I'm still dealing with the toe thing, but now I actually went to a doctor who had the same has had the same problem as I have, and he immediately looked at it and was like, "Yep, I know what that is." <laughs> He's like, "I had to have surgery on both my toes. I haven't had it come back since." Um, so basically, prescribing antibiotics. So I've been drinking a lot of water because these antibiotics, man, do they sap the water and all of the hydration out of you. <laughs> it just, just takes so much out. But it may it just it's sucking out the bacteria or infection, so it's also sucking out you know, it feels like it's sucking the life out of you too. Well I really um, I really hope nobody was eating while they were listening to that just then. Um but I am really thankful that we have an up- update. I didn't mention anything super gross. <laughs> I, I'm I'm very thankful that we got an update on your toe because I I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> have been losing sleep over that. So thank you for that's the only that's the main thing that's been I've been dealing with. That's the only reason why I keep doing updates with it because it's the only really kind of interest. I don't have anything interesting else to say. I, like, I honestly what? think it's kind of hilarious. Um, I, I went I went to uh, Powell's recently with my, my parents and uh, sold some books. Wow. Oh, I went to the can plate, the, the can recycle place <laughs> and uh, put in cans in the machine and got money and waited in line for what felt like forever. <laughs> Yeah, dude, that's interesting shit. Why are you leaving all that out? I don't know why you're not telling everybody about that. I guess I could. I mean, I mean, it was really fun to. I saw the Indian. I saw Raiders, The Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and Last Crusade in the theater recently. Oh, that's cool. All in one day in 35 millimeter in the original format that they were shown in when they were released in theaters. So that was a lot of fun. So I mean, other than that, I mean, no, I haven't really done that much. So my mind just goes blank when when I get asked the question of what I've been up to lately because honestly um I don't know I just feel like I'm in a funk lately I just feel like there's a 9 inch nail song it's like every day is exactly the same and it's like I I kind of feel like that lately I just feel like week in week out I just go to my gigs I put out videos uh-huh. you know it's like there's no real progression it seems like sometimes there's something to be said about the consistency though i yeah. mean it, it you know it's kind of nice to have that to consistently have that jobs and the work to fall back on i mean i'm on the opposite side i don't really have much consistency when it comes to that so you know i it, it's one of those things where yeah it, it, i can see what you mean though i mean i feel like i've sp- i've been spinning my wheels for a while now i mean it's just I'd like to get a job, but not having much luck. And going back to school, I'm looking forward to doing that in August, and uh, going from there and seeing what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I I know exactly how you feel. It just feels like you're spinning your wheels, and you're like, I'd like to go further. I'd like to 
you know. Yeah, like what's the next le- what's the next life? What's the next yeah, level? What's the next achievement that I can unlock here cuz uh, you know, I I'm in, been in You're the, stuck on the same level. Yeah, I've <laughs> been in the same dungeon here for uh quite a few uh quite a few months now and it's just want it's like I want some excitement and something new to happen, but I'm I'm too lazy and stuck in my routine and comfortable yep. to like go and make it happen. Yep, uh, I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat, but also I'm I I would feel it would be really awkward for me to try to make new friends because how am I going to do it and be like, uh, hey, we seem to have some similar uh, tastes. Do you want to hang out later? <laughs> it's just like yeah, I would I would like to see how you would talk to someone in person, Mike. I I I because like I only I've only seen you be internet guy, so like it. I'm actually a lot better than I used to be. I can strike up conversations with random people if they're willing to have a conversation with me. I did that at the movie theater recently, but it's not like I really made any friends. It's just we talk for a little bit, and that's about it. (laughs) Yeah, you know, you you almost feel like you don't want to be too desperate and be like, yeah, yeah, so you you want to hang out sometime? Or maybe, I mean... Yeah, exactly. I don't know how to do this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. It's It's almost like, shit, if I... Thank God I made friends back way back in the day because like now I'm just like awful at it. I, you know because like I, for me personally, like I don't really have the time that I feel like divvying out just to kind of hang out with somebody. You know, like that's kind of counterproductive mm-hmm. now in my life. I did a lot of that in my earlier twenties and just kind of got to a point to where none of those people were around anymore. And it's like I didn't get anything from the you know. I, it's not like God gave me some tokens for having a bunch of friends or anything. It didn't like get me a new car or anything. It, it actually just got me nothing but wasted time. So it was. It's kind of, yeah. So now it's kind of like when I put out a YouTube video or I write a new song. That's time that I spent, and there's a tangible product at the end of that spent time that I can say, "Hey, this is what I have for that time that I spent." So I kind of like that, you know, like with yeah. with friends, you just kind of get a warm, fuzzy feeling, maybe if it's a good experience. Um, and then, then that's it. Yeah, I think this is is this turning into like a, a life uh, life coaching uh, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, D- the Donna Parks interview last week. Um, as I said, she was a very sweet woman. And I thank her again for um agreeing to talk to me, um, learn some uh, insights on uh, her stepson's friendship with Matthew McConaughey, etc. So that was that was all really cool. So this episode, um, uh, this is our first kind of back to normal episode because, but in a way, it kind of isn't though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, that is true. And why isn't it, Mike? Why isn't this one like our normal ones? Well, because what we will be covering and talking about on today's podcast are the forbidden segments. A few of the forbidden segments. Forbidden. And why am I calling them forbidden segments? It's because these are segments that are not on Amazon Prime and probably will never be on Amazon Prime for you to be able to watch or stream. And... uh these segments weren't even really on the VHS rips that Josh and I found either. Forbidden. Exactly. These are segments that 
I somehow, by the grace of God, found on YouTube and then downloaded them, and then that's how I found them. Oh, cut the crap, Mike. You found them in the same place that you're keeping Bigfoot. Just be honest (laughs) for once in your life. But yeah, uh, Gulf Breeze UFO is going to be the first one, we're, first case we're going to be discussing. Uh, it's an infamous hoax, and it was also the first unexplained segment that Unsolved Mysteries ever talked about. You know, I got on the show. I, 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 I got to be honest with you, man. Um, I love the UFO segments. Uh, everybody knows that about me. If you know anything about me, um, you just blindly believe in everything. Yeah. Everything is true. Yeah, the, the, you know. It's true. I do blindly believe in most things except for religion. But no, I I um I love even this case. Even I do too. Even this case I love. I wish this had been on the UFO uh collection of the uh when Unsolved Mysteries released the DVDs in the mid 2000s. I wish this Golf Breeze had made it on there. But as, you know, they could have kicked off the UFO healing one cuz that one was just completely stupid. If we yeah. if we ever do a worst of uh, unsolved mysteries segments again, then that one's going on there. That's my that's my vote. Um, but no, I loved this segment. It was it was fantastic, and um, it, it. I mean, okay, I won't I won't tell you what I think about it until after I'm done explaining it to you. But don't worry, folks. The skeptic whistle is hot and ready, and it's it's ready to go right now. Um, it's right near you me. You might have to blow it at me because uh, <laughs> no, no. I, I've, you... I, I did some extra research. Oh, okay. And I, I don't know. Okay. Well, like, I, I'm 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 leaning on believing that this was a hoax, but um, I'll explain that later. So yeah, we got some. Well, that's why nice you shouldn't have... see back and forth, folks. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't have told me that, Mike, because around. you don't know what my you don't know what my view is. So I might be agreeing with you for all you know. That's why. You, well, you save these hey. things. If we, if and we, I'm not doing an edit. You feel the same. I'm not doing no, no. I'm getting tired of editing. I know that you guys enjoy. Well, maybe you enjoy. We it. don't have to edit this out anyway. It's just it's part of what happens when you do something on the fly. When you do something off the top of your head and you're just going, going with the flow, as my voice is going. Uh, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that happens. What'd you say about my fly? <laughs> it's open. Anyway. Wow. Mike's a lot closer than I thought. I'm a little scared right now. Um, yeah, anyway, Golf Breeze UFO. Um, yeah, this was one of the OG Unsolved Mystery segments, so that makes it even neater. Um, the one that we watched was an update, which is kind of interesting, because it's an update that's like 17 minutes long. <laughs> Normally, updates are not this long. But you see, like the before the segment starts, you have the update thing that normally you normally see. And then you're just like, wow, this is a really long update. Which, um, which kind of shows you... It previously you... aired two years. They even say, like, oh, the two years ago we covered this case. Because it was actually, I think, on one of the Unsolved Mystery specials that were hosted by Robert Stack. And what's really funny about the specials one, and I, I, I have it somewhere, but the picture quality is absolutely terrible. Are we talking I mean, 240p here or less? Uh, I, I mean, less. I mean, Ooh. this picture quality on here is 240p, the one that we saw, the update one. But it's still watchable yeah. and fairly clear compared to the one 
that I've, I I have that's the actual original airing. It's literally four. It looks like it was shot. It looks like it was shot on a fucking potato. It's, it, it's awful. It's four pixels. It's literally just like four colors, four squares <laughs> on the screen, and that's it's just it. really blurry and and awful. But anyway, it still doesn't change how amazing the intro is because it, it shows something that you n- are never really going to see on the show again. Uh, it shows an intro where, where Robert Stack is introducing the segment and the case, and he's doing it while he's in the middle of this giant party. Like, of all these, like, hundreds of people, and Robert Stack is in the middle talking to the camera and doing his monologue kind of thing. Ain't nothing but a gangster party, party. But, I, but I mean, that's just such a uh, surreal moment to witness, because... For the rest of the show, it's mostly just Robert Stack in some room, some church, or in, in, or in a, a, a sound stage with fog in the background or something. Here, he's in the middle of this like giant group of people. People are like passing around potato chips and shit. <laughs> because it's supposed to be a hundred. There was like a hundred witnesses who saw this UFO. Yeah, so uh, it's like Unsolved Mysteries first aired the Golf Breeze UFO segment, and then two years later, they're like, oh, we fucked up some details. Uh, we got we got quite a, a hefty update to give you here. So um, starting on November 11th, 1987, Golf Breeze, Florida, resident Ed Walters reported seeing a UFO near his home, and within the next three weeks, reported and documented several UFO sightings. Ed also took several clear, high-quality photographs of the alleged craft, but due to the quality, many people became skeptical. However, Ed claimed that the photographs and his sightings were genuine. But he was not the only person that saw the UFOs in Gulf Breeze. Over 200 people from Gulf Breeze came forward claiming that they had had sightings, photographs, and even videos of the UFOs. UFO researcher Jerry Black investigated the case of the Gulf Breeze UFOs and became suspicious of Walters and believed that the sightings and photographs may have been a hoax. So, in the segment, they're basically kind of run that you meet this Ed, Ed Waters guy, and from the get go, he seems like a charlatan to me. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he seems like a he seems like a guy who really enjoys and indulges kind of being in the spotlight and being talked about. He was some contractor, construction kind of guy, and he's talking at the beginning. He's like, I didn't want to be known as the construction company that sees UFOs. You know, he's The builder. The builder. I didn't want to be known as the builder who sees UFOs, yeah. So he's saying all the stuff that he probably thinks that, you know, people would want to hear to think well, that... Well, I mean, at the same time, if I were in his shoes, I'd probably feel the same way. If I'm some uh, construction company guy who runs a construction company that's well-regarded in my community, I mean, I could understand why why he would be like, well, I don't want to be known as the guy, the builder who saw UFOs. Right, so... I want to be known as more than just that. So he eventually moves out of his house, and this other couple move in to his house. And one day, the husband, the, 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 the new homeowner, is crawling up into the attic 
to he was finally getting around to getting the um accessing like the wiring or something to the water he was gonna make uh fix the ice maker in the refrigerator i don't know how this shit works i'm not the builder um and so in in the scene he's he's upstairs in this attic and he's just sifting his hands through all this loose insulation think of like almost like packing peanuts but pink uh and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, first of all, I don't know if the 1980s had different insulation than they do now, but you'd be fucking your hands up if you were just rifling your hands through insulation well, yeah. like that. yeah, I mean, they still they still have a lot of the same insulation, you know, the pink insulation. But do, I mean, when I think of insulation, I think of pink, fluffy... Cotton candy-looking... Cotton candy-looking yeah. stuff. Yeah, but do you, do you know what I mean, though? In the segment, he's just, like, oh, literally yeah. digging his hands through this insulation. I'm like... <laughs> I'm like okay, uh, no gloves. Okay, all right. Uh, apparently, this guy has some X Men superpowers here that we don't know about, where insulation just doesn't affect him. And for those of you who don't know, insulation is made up of uh, fiberglass, and that shit gets stuck in your hands, and yeah. it feels like the most like uh, what is it? It's like a it's like searing hot needles or something in your hand. Yeah, it's like these really irritating like splinters, microsto- yeah. microscopic splinters, and they're really it's a really irritating specific feeling. That's what you get for touching insulation. This guy was just digging his fucking hands to the insulation. So as he's doing that, he finds this paper mache mock up of the UFO of a UFO, and he's thinking, oh, this looks like a toy, you know, a kid's thing. You know, this isn't anything. Of significance, so they kept it in their garage and they forgot about it until a reporter from the Gulf Breeze, you know, news or whatever, comes up to the house that Ed Waters used to live in, which this new couple lives in. And the reporter's asking the couple, "So, you know, have you guys found any pictures of the UFOs or anything like that?" Because you know, everybody knew that Ed used to live in that house. And for the people who were trying to debunk it, and for the people who were probably trying to prove that it was true, were, were they were wanting to, you know, get up in that house a little bit, see if there was anything left behind. But I think it was mainly the skeptics who wanted to, to find something. And uh, the reporter even goes as far as to say, have you found any models of any UFOs? And uh, the homeowner was like, well, as a matter of fact, we did find something up in the attic, and... Uh, he showed it to the reporter, and the reporter's like, uh, can I borrow this? <laughs> and the guy's like, well, I didn't see any reason why he shouldn't borrow it, so yeah, I let him, you know, take it. So the reporter takes a bunch of pictures of this thing, puts it in the newspaper, um, and boom, it's on, I don't know the front page, but it's on uh, one of the pages in the news, either the next day or sometime after that, saying, it, you know, this guy, Ed Waters, has been discredited. This is the paper mache model that he used in his pictures. Walters. It's Ed, it's, uh, Ed Walters. Walters, my, my bad. I was saying Waters, Walters. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, Walters, of course, has a, is rebutting all of this and saying that, you know, all this happened, all this... Well, at first, I, I kind of saw some validity in his statements because... There were a lot of people who said they saw a UFO, but at the same time, there is such a thing as this kind of uh, mass sort of delusional sort of belief thing that can kind of happen sometimes where people can be like, well, this big thing, you know, Gulf Breeze and our small community, there's this big deal now, this UFO thing. 
So they kind of want to be a part of it. So they kind of believe it happened. But at the same time, it doesn't really discredit some of the other photos that were taken later by different people that they were taken by uh, cameras that were not Ed's. If, which we'll get to later. If a bunch of we- but the whole the whole theory though that some guy just broke into my house and placed the model there is one that I find extremely far fetched. Yeah, which is what he was saying as to why that paper mache UFO was there. He said somebody planted that up in the insulation in his attic. You know, it's like, come on, give me a break, dude. But yeah, the whole mass is. Why did he put <clears throat> it in, in in the insulation to begin with? <laughs> Apparently, he didn't know Super Insulation Man was going to be moving in there who was immune to insulation. I guess he thought anybody anybody else... <laughs> the Incredible Insulation Man, yeah. Yeah, the, the Incredible <laughs> Insulation Man who is immune to insulation and fiberglass. Fiberglass Man was moving in. Ed had no idea that was going to be happening. Um, okay, we get it, Josh. Oh, okay, just trying to make the point. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, the mass hysteria thing, I totally agree with you on that. Because if you think about it, like, okay, so say, and you know, I, I miss the 80s and 90s for multiple reasons. One of them being the UFO hysteria. I would have loved to have gotten caught up in the UFO, UFO hysteria. I just think it would have been an exciting time to live in. It, for me, like, really being into UFOs myself. Um, but think about if you lived in a city... Where, you know, it's a small town, obviously, Gulf Breeze. I mean, I've lived in Florida my whole life, and I, I've never heard of Gulf Breeze, you know? I mean, granted, yeah. granted, there's a lot of small towns in Florida I've never heard of, but Gulf Breeze I've definitely never heard of. So, something like this happens, and it kind of becomes a... Sounds like a golf course. It doesn't sound like a town. Oh, there's <laughs> so many places like that here in Florida for old old people, like, just... You know, the, just euphemisms for you're going to die soon, so be here because it's Sunnyville. You know, like <laughs> basically a bunch of euphemisms for that. Yeah, it does kind of sound like a retirement home, too. The Gulf Breeze Retirement Home. Yeah, so it becomes a talk of the town. So say, you know, Frank, 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 any, any guy is walking outside of his uh, retirement house and he looks up in the sky and he sees something. And coupled with all the UFO hysteria, what is his first inkling going to be of what that thing in the sky is? Well, probably going to be that, oh, there's been sightings of UFOs in this city. That's probably what this is. Compared to, let's say there wasn't any talk of a UFO in that town and you see something in the sky, your logical brain kicks in at that point and you say, oh, well, that's probably A, B, or C. So... Then this guy, Tommy Smith, comes forward. Uh, Tommy Smith is, I shouldn't say, uh, he's a kid pretty much. Or he looked really young. In th- he's like 21 years old. Yeah, he looked very young in this segment. Uh, very pinchable cheeks, this kid. Um, well, not really. Not nearly as pinchable as uh, Mike uh, Moon Pie Face. Uh, I forgot his name already. But not, not nearly as pinchable as that guy, Moon Pie Face's cheeks. Um, he comes forward claiming that uh, two and a half years earlier, he had helped Ed fake some of these photographs. Um, well, they were actual photographs that he didn't. He wanted uh, to turn into the news, but he didn't end up doing he didn't it. Do it. He didn't do it. Yeah, so they're not the same photographs, but they were photographs. Ended up what they were photographs with UFOs and things like that. He demonstrated how Ed would fake the pictures and. Uh, 
you know, they actually show in the. It's really fascinating yeah, it, to show all the how all the attempts by these other news uh, outlets and other people to try to recreate uh, the UFO photos. I mean, you're really breaking into some old school Hollywood kind of uh, you know design as far as because a lot of the tricks that they use in this segment. To, to fake these pictures pre Photoshop days are some of the same techniques used in old uh, the old you know golden age of uh, film, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely, absolutely. So I mean that's pretty awesome, and I mean just the 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 gumption that you have to have uh, pre Photoshop, you know, because uh, if as most of you know, Photoshop is a program on your computer that you can use to literally do anything to a picture. Now you can manipulate it in such yeah. convincing ways that... And this kid, he came up with his evidence after uh, Walters had uh, other photos that had shown up. There was this... Uh, there were He was saying he saw something in the sky. It was like this red light in the sky. And he then had these other people who were corroborating witnesses, including this one woman who took a photo after the red light is supposedly dissipated out of the sky and she took a photo and there was all these like different lights and stuff uh, that were in the sky in in the photo they were like color streaks and color streaks and there was like hundreds of different color streaks it was it was insane so there were other photos that were taken that night too that look kind of look like fuzzy you know stuff in the sky i don't know what it was um it was something that was lit up apparently but those photos seem like they could have... I mean, that would have been pretty elaborate of a hoax to do those photos. Those are the ones where I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like, what what actually did they see then, that night? Um, the, the, keep in mind, folks, drones didn't exist. You can't just put a drone in the sky and then take a picture and be like, Oh, look, uh, it's a UFO. So... It could be exposure kind of stuff. It could be they did there was like a helicopter or a plane or something far away or or maybe even a star or something. Well, I and it created something like what they saw in the photos. But I don't know. That's the one where I'm like I don't know. The other well, UFO sighting, the other UFO photos, I and you know, I could see why you'd be like okay, those could be hoaxes. I have something to say about that. I'm trying to find the damn thing on my DVD right now because I can't remember her name, and I want to remember this chick's name, what I'm about to say here. Um, I feel like, like okay, the, the chick who took the, the picture of, of all the color streaks, you know, one of these uh, eyewitnesses to the supposed... Oh, it's like the Vancouver, like Vancouver, Canada lady, right? right? The one, that's, yeah. yeah, Dorothy Izalt. That's whose name I was looking for. So the, the Vancouver Lights is what it was called. I'm starting to think that some of these older cameras just have kind of phenomenons that can happen from time to time where you get exposed, you know, like cracks in the case where light yeah. leaks in, etc. 
I think that's just kind of a an artifact of old cameras. I think w- with old cameras, yeah. um, especially when you're taking pictures of you know such high contrast uh, scenes like complete black and a little bit of light, you know, like in the sky yeah. at night. I believe it's just it's it's hard to recreate nowadays, though. I mean, that's the thing. It's something that's really hard to. Well, it's it's a similar concept of on even on a digital camera now. Like uh, there's the it's usually uh, it's like B and it stands for like blinder or something like that. Or you you hold down the button on the camera and it just opens up the uh, shutter and it leaves it open and uh, any th- any light that's in there it um, it's hard to explain. But that's how you, anyway that's how you get those uh, pictures of people who write their name in color streaks or whatever. Uh, your mo- yeah. It's a te- anyway. It's a camera technique, and so I mean you can still kind of do it, but uh, it's almost like the old camera in and of itself kind of like lends itself to that. So anyway, um, this this Tommy Smith kid or whatever who kind of you know exposed Ed to a certain extent, which again Ed refuted. Um, he was say Tommy was quoted as saying, um, "There's." too many reasons why i didn't go through with uh in reference to him taking the pictures to the press um he's like i felt like i was lying to my folks and because it was a fraud and for two years tommy kept his knowledge secret from everyone except his parents until the model was discovered then he decided to go public since then it's been tommy's word against ed's um the biggest thing going for tommy is that he has nothing to gain from making these accusations he has no dog in the fight um so he did wait a while to to uh, put everything you know to let everything to light though. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, I mean, it is kind of hard to believe sometimes when you have people who just come out years later and say, "Oh yeah, by the way, you know, I was there when this is all hoaxed." But the amount of detail that he provides really does make me believe that there's there's some actual validity to his statements. So, I guess we can go ahead and lay the hammer down on what ended up happening with this case. Mike, if you want to well, do the honors. Well, I'm on, I'm on this uh, ironskeptic.com site, and this guy is... he's, he's his site, This is actually kind of funny, the way that he was uh, describing all of this, but he, he, he actually showed some extra evidence that was not shown on, on this segment. Uh, that kind of shows that uh, Ed Walters might be a bit of a nut job, or uh, just a guy who is being like really uh, obsessed with this UFO thing to the point where he's making up stories of of actually seeing aliens. So the year was 1987. Uh, according to Walters, he was burning the midnight oil on the night of 11, uh, November 11th of 1987, when he became curious as to exactly why there was a glowing blue light in his front yard. The source was behind a pine tree, so he exited his home to get a better look. Much to his surprise, the source of the light was a huge floating spacecraft, shaped like a top with a number of dark rectangles separated by portholes along the diameter. The glow was coming from a blue ring at the bottom of the craft. Apparently, Mr. Walters is substantially braver than I am. Which is this is guy who's just saying he's saying substantially braver than I am because instead of fleeing to his house, he grabbed a camera and came back outside and snapped a number of photographs and decided to get a bit closer. I actually agree with the Iron Skeptic guy. I, 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 yeah, substantially braver than I am. I probably would have ran away too. 
I wouldn't be like, man, first thing in my head would not be like, oh, I better get some photographs. <laughs> I don't know. It would depend for me. It would depend. I, it's hard I for mean, me to say. I mean, nowadays, it's easy with your cell phone, just whatever. But yeah. back then, you'd have to set up the tripod and all of that, and I'd be too freaked out by the, the fact that there's some spaceship outside my house that I don't know what could come out of it. I don't know what kind of you know aliens could come out and abduct my ass and probe me. I don't want anything to do yeah, with that. Yeah, and let's talk about that real quick about just, you know, because a lot of these old historic UFO cases involve cameras. I'll just explain uh, how it would be to grab a camera back in the day and set it up as opposed to now with your cell phone. Back, back in the olden days with film cameras, assuming the role, like let's just assume the camera had no film in it. You have to have the right exposure, too. Well, that's what I'm getting to. You have to go and you have to grab the camera. You have to have the right film speed is what it's known as, the right speed of film. And if you're shooting at night, you're going to want to have a high speed of film because it's uh, more sensitive to darkness, so you get more clear pictures. Um, Higher film speeds were not common uh, in, in most just disposable cameras or any kind of camera. At that, for a higher film speed, you usually have to go to a film, a camera store and, and specially buy that because most people take pictures during the day at parks of their kids, whatever. So most disposable cameras had 400 speed film in it. It's, more, it's uh, the most generic use of film. It, it's kind of good for dark, but it's really good for light, whatever. To shoot in the dark, to get a clear picture, you'd have to have at least 800 speed. Ideally, you'd want around 1600 to 3200 speed. So you'd have to load the film in the camera, which that in and of itself is kind of a pain in the ass. You have to take the camera outside. No light, by the way. So again, having the right speed of film in your camera is absolutely critical. Um, if it's just a disposable camera, you don't get any access to shutter speed or aperture or anything like that. So you just kind of get what you get with a disposable camera. Not very reliable. Um, if it is a manual camera that was like an SLR that is a little bit nicer, you have to adjust the, the shutter speed. You have to adjust the aperture all to get the most clearest picture. And, oh, by the way, the target's moving a lot of times. So back, yeah. back in the day, taking a good, reliable picture of a UFO was shoddy at best. I mean, you'd really have to know the UFO was going to be there ahead of time to get a great picture of it. So, also, he was, you know, this is he, this story's continued here. He's like, uh, he, Walters tried to get some closer photographs. The thing floated over his head and a blue beam shot out of the bottom. Walters said he heard a voice tell him that he would not be harmed. He didn't believe the voice, choosing to attempt to scream instead, but the voice told him to calm down. Images began flooding his mind as though he were engaged in some sort of telepathic slideshow, and apparently he had blacked out because his next memory is of waking up, the UFO nowhere to be seen. So what was the first thing that Walter decided to do, uh, uh, Walters decided to do upon gaining consciousness? So he tried to get photos of this UFO. It apparently sent a beam down, told him to calm down, sent some telepathic images in a slideshow. Um... But the first thing he did was apparently he hauled himself down to the office of the local newspaper and told them the story, uh, offering some fantastic photographs as evidence. This was his first step in uh, his uh, trip to fame and fortune. Newspaper, of course, gobbled the story up, because why wouldn't they? And uh, the rest is kind of history. So they gobbled up the story. 
And for months afterwards, local water coolers must have been hearing some very, very strange conversations. Now, the UFO apparently didn't visit Walters just once. Perhaps they were sentimental types, but for whatever reason, the space aliens paid him numerous visits over the course of the following months and years. The second time he spotted a UFO, Walters claimed he could hear a humming sound, as though two people were having a quiet conversation nearby, and he was just far away enough to be able to distinguish the words. Looking up, he saw a sparkling star that soon fell to Earth and was revealed to be a spaceship. And with the reflexes of an old West gunfighter, he apparently took a photo of the thing. <laughs> I love that by the Iron Skeptic. I, lo- I love that part there. Where there, that's where the, here's where the story takes a turn for the absolutely inane. Up until the night of December second, Walters had no idea what was living inside the flying egg. All he knew is that it could hit him with a blue beam that could walk, talk to him and then knock him on his ass. But at three a.m. that night, he was awakened by his dog barking. Going to a pair of French stores, he quoted. He's quoted here, he pulled up the bedroom window shade to see this small, shielded being standing just on the other side of the glass, looking in Walters' eyes. Behold, Wal- then, then he, the, that, the site actually shows the sketch, and it's hilarious. This is the unintentional hilarious sketch of the being. It had a possible shape of head, which is, looked like a, I don't know, it looked like, it looked like the top of the thing you use to like squeeze water out of. Like You suck water up with the, it, the, and the then you... The plunger thing. The dropper, like mm. the dropper oh, thing like a that you use sometimes. Yeah, baster. Look like it's its head looks like at the top of a turkey baster. Pretty common for a gray. It's a it, but it looks like it's all metallic and like has all this other like r- robotic shit on it. It's got this boxy shape to it. It has eyes that are similar to a gray, but it's really tiny. Uh, approximately four uh, feet tall. Uh, clear opening and headgear. Uh, dark with shadows, uh, gray in color, of course. It has a silver wad that comes out of its hand. It could not—he could not distinguish hands or fingers, but he still wrote. He still drew them down. They look, clearly look like hands or fingers. <laughs> I love that note he has. I could not distinguish hands or fingers, but here's what clearly looks like hands and fingers. These thin boxes covered uh, in front, probably possibly shields. <laughs> I just like. This is fucking ridiculous. Apparently, these space aliens, with all their space ad- ad- space technology and advanced technology, decided to send one of their guys disguised as a knight of the round table to peep into Walters' bedroom. <laughs> so, purpose of both brevity and comedy, the creature shall henceforth be referred to as the Breezebot. <laughs> I love that. But the name Breezebot may not be entirely accurate. A notation on the side of the sketch says, Thin boxes covered its front-only possible shields. At this point, the point in the name Space Galahad lacks a certain flair. <laughs> so back to the story. The creature looked at him for a moment, turned, and then sauntered off. Walters, once again displaying nerves of steel, gave chase to the creature, but as soon as he left, left the safety of his back porch, he was once again struck by the blue beam that immobilized him until the creature was safely away. In a field near his house, he saw a second blue beam descend, which he suspected was a UFO retrieving the interrupted breeze bot. As soon as the beam dissipated, Walters received, retrieved his camera and duly photographed the departing spaceship. It's more like space shit, because it sounds like it's a whole bunch of fucking bullshit to me. So, to put the kibosh in this whole thing, one of the uh, UFO researchers, um, Jerry Black, who investigated the Gulf Breeze case... Um, he soon determined in the early 1990s a suspicious trail of money that led to Walters. 
giving mm-hmm. in- indications of a hoax. And what have we learned, folks, about hoaxes? Follow the money. Whenever there's money that motivates anything, it's usually going to be corrupt in some way. Come on, come on, listen to the money talk. Oh, Mike, so passionate. Um, Then, over the subsequent years, new evidence was discovered, including a model in one of Walter's homes that seemed identical to the ones in the photographs, and many were certain that the sightings were fake. Now, I don't know if they're referring to the uh, model uh, that Unsolved Mysteries initially referenced in the update, or if it's yet another model. But uh, as far as Ed Walters is concerned, I got to... uh, I got one thing to do for you there, buddy, and that would be the... <laughs> you, but sir, really... are a nut job. So he's a skeptic? I am a... a skeptic whistle. I am a skeptic of him. <laughs> you're, you're, you're blowing the whistle on yourself. Yeah, no. no <laughs> yes. You can, bl- you can blow the whistle on me, too, like I said earlier. Um, I do believe this is a hoax. Absolutely, one hundred percent believe this is hoax. Other information that's provided on this uh, IronSkeptic.com thing also really adds more fuel to this particular fire. Why would Walters go through such so much trouble to create fake spaceman photos? The answer is always, as always, for the money. William Morrow, the head of a publishing company that produced Whitley Stryber's book Communion, is said to have paid two hundred thousand dollars in advance for a book that Walters was to write. The National Enquirer ran a series of Walters in March 1990, and although the exact numbers remain unclear, I think it's safe to say that he did not walk away from them empty-pocketed. ABC TV is also said to have paid $400,000 for rights to a never-produced miniseries. So we know that Walters made at least a cool half a million dollars on his investment at the time. Adjusting for inflation, I understand that $500,000 in 1990 would be the equivalent of 47 Donald Trumps and a solid gold moon today. (laughs) Nice. But that doesn't even include the books. Unable to attend the then-annual Gulf Breeze UFO convention, Ed Walters said that he wasn't interested in preaching to the choir. This is certainly true. He just finished writing his third book. So apparently he's written 33 books on the Gulf Breeze UFO case, which if we know anything, if you're writing books and multiple books about this case, that about your case of whatever paranormal or unexplained case that it possibly may be, that really does point to there being a bunch of bullshit involved here. And, or extremely, extremely hurting your credibility at the very least. Yes. So that's the whole reason that this case, I think, was left off the box set, because it was so open and shut, you know? It, it wasn't as compelling as a lot of these other cases, like the Socorro Close Encounter is the first one that comes to mind, to where, yeah. to this day, it's like, well, we don't know what was seen. Or the Withville. With, the Withville, oh, Kentucky. Man. Ah, such a juicy, s- such a juicy bone of, uh, of uh, juiciness there. Juicy bone of juiciness. That's how you... This is still interesting, though, and it was definitely worth oh, yeah. the hype. Yeah. Or, you know, worth the wait. What, uh, what because you... it was really cool to see how they recreated some of these hoax photographs. And it was also... You know, it's a UFO case, but it's also... I always... I find hoax as fascinating, too. Yeah. E- equally as fascinating as the legitimate UFO cases. Yeah. 
it, it's 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 for some reason I just love to watch people crash and burn when they're trying to you know pull the wool over people's eyes. It's almost like you know, it's like they got their just desserts, you know. It's it's always good to see that, you know. Someone's trying to fake out people and it's just it it's a, it's like a spectacle, you know. It's like uh, get, watching Gallagher, you know. It's it's just like you know the guy's corny, you know he's a hack, but he's just a spectacle, and you love watching it, you know, just for that like that purpose, you know. So that's that's why this case was so great. Um, Unsolved Mysteries not being one to ever be the ironic bunch, I can see why they did not include it on the box set because they're like, well, it's a case and it was solved. Why would we want to include it? I guess they didn't anticipate all the uh, millennials who just uh, adore irony these days and everything has to be ironic. Well, also, I, I think it might be a legal thing. Maybe it's Walters himself or maybe it's other people who are involved with it, don't want this to be shown. Keep in mind, this only aired once. The, it, it only aired the original uh, telling of the case aired on the special, and then the update only aired once. See, that's... And it didn't really air on Lifetime. So it, it aired, the update ended up, I, I think the only way we found it, and then the only way the person who posted it on YouTube found it, and it clearly is from some uh, overseas channel, because you can yeah. tell, because it's some channel that the watermark. I've never even heard of. Yeah, see, that's that was the beauty of VCRs and VCR recording back in the day, is preservation. I mean, we're talking about this almost 30 years after the fact, and it's because somebody recorded it on their VCR and, and they were able to preserve it. You're not gonna you're not gonna get that anymore because with the the very limited uh, rec- screen capture abilities and you know stuff that you might see on Netflix and you know there's just a lot of stuff that they're putting out now that that there, it's just really hard to get you know that, or there's no way to get it so it's like I, I loved I loved the freedom in the kind of the wild west of uh, the old VCR days of recording things off TV whether it be commercials or like shows that you can't see anymore i mean it was just uh from a preservationist standpoint i think it's 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 a very good thing you know well also you know yeah i mean the guy did whoever posted this whoever the guy is that posted this on youtube he's doing a great service uh because this is preserving unsolved mysteries history like i said it's it's a it's it's the first unexplained case that unsolved mysteries talked about and yeah ultimately it was explained as a hoax, but that still doesn't change the fact that it does have a certain place in, in Unsolved Mysteries history. Absolutely. So, um, I definitely do think it's fake. It's a hoax. It's a, a breeze out of this guy's ass. Yes, it is a golf breeze directly from Ed Walters' butthole. Exactly. So, but it, it it still is worth discussing though because it is interesting and for the, anyone who believes that we just blindly believe all everything UFO related, here you go. This is the one time that we didn't, <laughs> <laughs> but every other time <laughs> it has a different story. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Tara Calico, um, this is another forbidden segment. This is one that a lot of people actually, I guess, a lot of uni- unsolved unsolved mysteries fans. Universal, Universal fans, <laughs> Universal Unsolved Mystery fans. A lot of Unsolved Mystery fans, they uh, remember this case. I can see why. If you saw this segment with the image that they show, forbidden, that would stick with you. That would definitely stay with you. Forbidden. 
What's kind of funny, though, and kind of ironic about this Forbidden segment is that it was talked about extensively on a bunch of other shows. Uh, it has received a lot of extensive coverage, including an episode of the show 48 Hours. I love it. that show. So it was profiled on the Oprah Winfrey show. It was profiled on A Current Affair, America's Most Wanted. I like all those shows. Don't know what a Current Affair is, but I like all the other but ones. But for some reason, it's not on the Amazon prime streaming set of episodes of unsolved mysteries and it's also a segment that i mean i could kind of maybe it's a short segment i mean it's only like five minutes oh yeah it's very maybe that's why they felt well we shouldn't include it or whatever i don't know what it is but apparently this has a pretty big cult following this deals with a disappearance of oh wait i know why pretty pretty young white girl went missing Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this uh, pretty young white girl named uh, Tara Calico, she uh, left her home on Tuesday of September 20th, 1988, at about 9, 9.30 in the morning, to go on her daily bike ride along New Mexico State Road 47. She rode that route almost every morning and was sometimes accompanied by her mother, Patty. However, Dole, her mother... Stopped writing, uh, which is her last name, Patty Dole. So, however, Patty stopped writing with Calico after she had felt she had been stalked by a motorist. She advised Tara to think about carrying mace, but Tara rejected the idea. On the morning of Calico's disappearance, <clears throat> she told Dole to come and get her if she was not home by noon, as she had plans to play tennis with her boyfriend by 12.30. She disappeared when she was 19. Wait, by the way. so the mom stopped riding bikes with her daughter because she felt like she was being stalked? Yeah. Okay, how does that make any sense whatsoever? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I feel like, sorry honey, I feel like I'm being stalked. Just me though, like you're totally fine. Like someone who's like 20 or 30 <laughs> years younger than me and way more attractive than me and is also a female. Uh, you'll probably be okay, but me... Uh, this guy's just really into uh, older, mature women, so uh, I should probably stay away. But 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 you'll be fine, you know. Just go go <laughs> go out alone here. Uh, uh, when you take your bath later on, here's a toaster in case you want to make some toast. Uh, and also uh, here's some uh, prescription painkillers if you get a headache. Um, I'm a good mother. So on the morning of Calico's disappearance, of course, she had told her to come get her if she was not home by noon. As she had plans to play tennis with her boyfriend at 12.30. When her daughter did not return, Dole went searching for her along Tara's usual bike route, but could not find her. She then contacted the police. Pieces of Calico's Sony Walkman and cassette tape were discovered along the road. Dole believed that she might have dropped them, dropped them in an attempt to mark her trail. Several people saw Calico riding her bicycle, which has never been found. No one witnessed her presumed abduction, although several witnesses observed a light-colored pickup truck, possibly a 1953 Ford, with a camper shell following her. So, she went missing on September 20th, 1988, the age of 19, and uh, she has been missing for 28 years, 9 months, and 25 days. So, she's dead, basically. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would probably agree with that i mean i not probably i do agree with that i i I don't think she's alive now what 
then the missing part, okay, you know, they could have just had like, oh, this one, this girl went missing. You know, if you have any information, show a picture of her behind the black marble background they use for the show, and just say, hey, if you've seen this girl, you know, call the this number. But there was this photograph that surfaced on June fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. It was a Polaroid photo of an unidentified young woman, both and a boy, both gagged and seemingly bound. And it was discovered in the parking lot of a convenience store in Port St. Joe, Florida. Why has it always got to be fucking Florida, the state that I live in? Why can't it be Ohio or, or Arizona? Why does or it, Washington. Uh, or, yeah, why, why does all this weird, stupid crap always happen in Florida? Can you imagine finding that photo? No, I can't. Like just... I mean that would be hor- that would be horrifying. Although I did find something one time um that I would like to say um that I did find that was very weird. Uh I was hanging out with my friend Stephanie. This was like 10 years ago if not more. Um and we were walking around her neighborhood and we found this um almost looked like the paper the style of the paper was like a newspaper but it was like uh, in the form of like a, a magazine or a brochure and we looked through it and it was like this, almost like a zine or something. It was like this handmade kind of thing that was passed around. Definitely not like mainstream. It was like this underground thing. And it was like all these like local people in my city, but like n- like they were posing like nude and they were like gross. It was like old, Whoa. yeah, like old dudes and like old chicks and I think it was like an old school like Craigslist hookup section, but like the actual real like you know paper like it had their like Ugh. name and their number. Yeah, it was so gross. And we found that like on the side of the road. I almost wish I had saved it at this point. It was it's really uh, it's really an oddity. Yeah, very very bizarre, very disturbing. So the woman who found the photo said that it was in a parking space where a white windowless Toyota cargo van had been parked when she arrived at the store. She said the van was being driven by a man with a mustache believed in his 30s, to believed to be in his 30s, and police set up roadblocks to intercept the vehicle, but the man was never identified. According to Polaroid officials, the po- picture had to have been taken after May 1989 because the particular film used in the photograph was not available until then. The photo was broadcast on a show called A Current Affair in July, and Doyle was contacted by friends who had seen the show and thought the woman resembled Calico. Relatives of Michael Henley, also in New Mexico, had a disappear- who had also disappeared in April of 1988, saw the episode and believed that he was the boy in the photo. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries also had the same sort of thing, where they interviewed the same people, and they were like, I believe that's my son, uh, that's got to be tar- Tara. And it does look a lot like Tara. In all honesty. So I could kind of see why people who see this photo think that it was her. Uh, Dole and Henley's parents both met and investigators examined the Polaroid. Dole said she was convinced it was his daughter, her daughter after taking time, growth, and lack of makeup into some consideration. She also noticed uh, that a scar in the woman's leg was identical to one that Calico had received in a car accident. That was one that really stood out to me. I mean... That kind of stuff is harder to really have a, have a coincidental, oh, it's the same scar type deal. 
Yeah, what's that's a lot. What's more brought difficult. to mind to my mind is the unsolved mystery segment of Brushy Bill claiming that he's Billy the Kid. We didn't talk about that one yet, but uh, it's kind of the same thing with him. He claimed yeah. he claimed he was Billy the Kid and he had the same scars and shit, but it turns out that he he wasn't, or maybe he was. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like one of my In made addition, up stories. The paperback, co- <laughs> it does. That maybe you can be a part of. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we haven't promoted anything this podcast yet. Too. In addition, a paperback copy of V.C. Andrews's My Sweet Adrena, said to be one of Calico's favorite books, can be seen lying next to the woman. Scotland Yard analyzed the photo and concluded that the woman was Calico, but a second analysis by the Los Alamos Na- National Laboratory disagreed. An FBI analysis of the photo was inconclusive. That's also another reason why the segment might not have shown up on Amazon, because its main focus is this photo, and it's a photo that is very kind of inconclusive piece of evidence. I don't really know for sure it, it's her in the photo. But apparently 20 years after the Polaroid photo was found and shared by the media, pictures of a boy were sent to the Port St. Joe police chief, David Barnes, who received two letters postmarked June 10th, and August 10th in the 2009 from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, also, the, the Henley uh, kid, uh, it, it's considered unlikely that it's the, the boy in the photo because his remains were discovered in 1990 in the Zuni Mountains. Yeah, I guess that would make about, it a little unlikely, wouldn't it? About seven miles from his camp family's campsite from which he had disappeared. Jesus, Jesus, 75 miles this, 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 from where Calico disappeared. The theme of this podcast, or this segment at least, could also be called Bad Parenting. <laughs> Police believe that Henley wandered off and subsequently died of exposure. Now, that's the case. That is extremely bad parenting. 20 years after the Polaroid photo was found, blah, 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 blah. One letter contained a photo copied, uh, printed on copy fa- paper of, young, of a young boy with sandy brown hair. Someone had drawn a black band in ink on the photo over the boy's mouth. As, it was co- as if it were covered in tape in the 1989 picture. The second letter contained an original image of the boy. On August 12th, the Star newspaper in Port, Port St. Joe received a third letter, also postmarked in Albuquerque, and on August 10th, dis- depicting the same image of a boy with black marker draw- drawn over his mouth. The boy has not been confirmed to be the same one as in the previous photo. None of the letters contained a return address or a note indicating the child's identity, making the officials there believe that it may have something to do with the disappearance of Tara Calico. The letters were sent at the same time that a self-proclaimed psychic had called about Calico, saying she had met a runaway in California with whom she worked in a strip club, and this girl was eventually murdered. The caller said she had dreams of suggesting that the runaway may have been Calico and that she may be buried in California. Searches did not lead to any discoveries. The photos were given to the FBI for further investigation in hope of finding fingerprints or possible DNA evidence. Two other Polaroid photographs, possibly of Calico, have surfaced over the years, but they have yet to be released to the public. The first was found near a construction site in Montecito, California, and is a blurry photo of a girl's face with tape covering her mouth and light blue striped fabric behind her, similar to that on the pillow in the Toyota van photo. It was taken on film that was not available until June 1989. The second shows a woman loosely bound in gauze, her eyes covered with more gauze and large black framed glasses, with a male passenger beside her on an Amtrak train. The film was used was not available until February 1990. If it, that was shot on an Amtrak train, how the 
fuck are they going to get away with having somebody on a train with all bound and gagged and and loosely bound in gauze and her eyes are covered with gauze? Yeah, it, it beats me on that the, one. The film was not used, was not available until February 1990. Calico's mother believes the first one was Tara... Uh, but thought the second one may have been a gag. Her sister stated they had stri- a striking, uncalming resemblance. As for me, I will not rule them out, but keep in mind her family has had to identify many other photographs, and all but those three were ruled out. There's a, f- a few more later de- developments. 20 years after her disappearance, Rene Rivera, the sheriff of Valencia County, claimed that she knew what had happened to Calico. According to Rivera, boys who knew her drove up behind her in a truck, and some form of accident followed. Calico later died, and those responsible covered up the crime. Why would you do that if you accidentally hit somebody and killed them? Why would you be like, oh, I'm going to cover it up? Probably because you, I, you I have know, prior just... prior convictions or prior things, you know, that might come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. Rivero stated that he knew the names of those involved, but involved, but without that and without a body, he could not make a case. He did not release the evidence that led him to the conclusion no arrests have been made and the case remains open. Calico's stepfather, John Dole, disputed these claims, saying that the sheriff should not have made these comments if he was not willing to arrest anyone and that strong circumstantial evidence should be enough for a conviction. And on October 2013, a six-person task force was established to reinvestigate Calico's disappearance. But not much has really been found. I think she's dead, absolutely. Yeah, one thing I want to say about that original Polaroid. found her body. The original Polaroid of uh, her and the kid uh, bound and gagged with a tape over their mouth, the Polaroid that the lady found outside of a gas station. Uh, for the longest time, anytime you type in Unsolved Mysteries uh, or anything Unsolved Mysteries re- related on YouTube, I remember that Polaroid would always come up as like the thumbnail that they used to preview the video. And that video had like millions of hits. And. It was just like so clickbaity. It really annoyed me because it's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I totally. It, it is. A, it is a clickbaity type of photograph, but I could see why Unsolved Mysteries decided in this five-minute segment to kind of talk about it because it is a it is a pretty big news story at the time. Understandably so, and it is a very memorable, shocking sight to see. I mean, you just look at that photo. You're like, is this moments before these? two kids were or you know these two young people were murdered or or what god's no god knows what else happened i mean yeah i mean usually if someone i find this hard to believe this is a prank if someone goes to the trouble of like putting tape over your mouth and like binding you with rope and stuff uh yeah yeah they're not they're not gonna like you know play around with you for a little bit and then just let you go i mean usually you know that's you're not, you're not going to meet a very good end if that's going and that, on. And that's what makes it a mystery and a very compelling one because you're like, okay, if it's not Tara and if the little boy's not Michael, then who? Right. Yeah, it it is very bizarre. Um, having to move on here because of time restrictions. Um, you know, I. Uh, you know me, guys. I, I like I like for you to know who your listeners are, and and I, I like for you to you know just be aware. I feel like it's a public service, and um, and I don't know why people keep confiding in me like all these their these crazy stories that happen to them because they know I'm just going to turn around and like tell everybody on the podcast. But yet again, we have another, uh, and this time it's Joy Thornton. 
um, a story that happened to her and, and she felt the need to tell me. So I feel the need to share this on the podcast. Um, so she was a Los Angeles narcotics detective and um, she had been after this drug kingpin named Colin Crisp, uh, who is a psychopath. Uh, after Joy uh, arrested uh, Colin for a young man's murder, Joy is told that Colin's ex-wife, Rachel, whose testimony could be key to putting Colin away, is living in Astoria, Oregon, and that she has a son. So Joy and her partner, Phoebe O'Hara, are sent to Astoria to find Rachel. Phoebe, a former school teacher, is assigned to go undercover as a kindergarten teacher at Astoria Elementary School, where Rachel's son is believed to be one of the students. The problem for Joy and Phoebe is the fact that they don't know what Rachel and her son look like. When Phoebe becomes sick... Before the undercover assignment is to begin, Joy had to take her place, despite the initial misgivings of Principal Schlosky, who eventually befriends Joy. On her first day, Joy meets first grade teacher Joyce Palmieri, whose son Dominic is one of Joy's students. As Joy spends months on the assignment, she bonds with her students and introduces them to her pet ferret. Uh, the town's single mothers find themselves falling for Joy. Well, because she's just a delightful woman. Um, one of the students, Zach Sullivan... <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing, Mike. This is pretty serious. Um, one of the students, <laughs> Zach Sullivan, is a victim of physical abuse at the hands of his temp- uh, tempered father, who also physically abuses Zach's mother. Joy tries to convince Miss Sullivan to leave Mr. Sullivan and press charges, but Miss Sullivan is too scared to do that. After uh, one afternoon, Zach is leaving school for the day. Joy finds no choice uh, but to press charges against Mr. Sullivan after finding marks on Zach's body. She also hits Mr. Sullivan. She kicks his ass. Principal Schlowski calls Joy into her office and asks Joy how good it it felt to hit Mr. Sullivan because Schlowski herself had always felt like hitting that son of a bitch. Uh, Joy soon discovers that Joyce's real name is Rachel Crisp, Cullen's ex-wife. And now Cullen and his cold-blooded mother, Eleanor Crisp, have arrived in Astoria, and they are looking for Rachel and Dominic, the son that Cullen hasn't seen in three years, and it's up to Joy Thornton to protect Rachel and Dominic, which she did. She did, and they arrested that son of a bitch, and he's behind bars, and that's a crazy story. I can't believe all that happened to you, Joy. And, you know, that's a pretty cool story, you know. Um, completely. Did one of the kids, uh, you know, make uh, some remark about a tumor? Um, um, I'm unclear on that, Mike. On Joy? I'm, uh, I'm unclear. <laughs> but uh, she didn't say anything about a tumor, so I'm guessing she would... If that had, if that comment had in fact happened, she might have said something to the effect of "it is not a tumor." So you know, there's that. So that's a that's a completely crazy story, Joy. I'm glad you're doing all right now. Um, did that really happen? I think so. Might not have. I don't know. If you want a completely crazy story about yourself, read out on the podcast for everybody to judge. Um, contri- consider contributing to our five dollar tier on Patreon. Uh, or any tier, really. There's benefits for uh, any any of the uh, tiers there. It really helps us a lot. It helps Mike more than anything because he doesn't have a job right now. Um, so, you know, it, it, it warms his heart. It warms my heart, too. Um, 
Both of our hearts are collectively warmed when you do that. Also, we have a Facebook group called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Go on Facebook and just search that in the search bar and find our group. I, I don't know how else you're supposed to do it. I'm not your dad. I'm not going to make you do it. Do it if you want. You can also like us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, all right. Now we're going into our final segment here. Um, it's called News of the Bazaar, where we talk about bizarre news stories. Um, our first one that we're going to talk about here uh, is an article called Albinos are being hunted in Africa and harvested for their body parts. Holy hot shit. What the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah, so in in parts of Africa, albino children are being murdered by witch doctors, a doctor has revealed in a new documentary. In Tanzania alone... In Tanz- <laughs> Sounds like something out of a movie Yeah, this, or this is not, this is not like made reality. up. This is, this is real news. I will post the article in the group for you to feast your eyes on. In Tanzania alone, 75 albinos have been killed since 2000. In Malawi, Malawi, 18 have been murdered since 2014. Malawian albinos claim they are targeted because locals believe they have quote-unquote healing powers uh, and their limbs can bring luck. A doctor from London, Dr. Oscar Duke, has now exposed their treatment in a new film for the BBC. Mike, if you want to take it from here. Duke, 30, who is an albino himself and in the course of the documentary, meets with teenagers who have had arms cut off in attacks when they were seven. So-called witch doctors pay rural, rural killers to murder albinos, a condition more common in Malawi and Tanzania than anywhere else in the world. Farm workers work for just 72 pounds a day in Malawi, meaning that the 7,000 pounds offered for albino body parts can be too tempting. I love how it leaves out the G. <laughs> too tempting. It's 75,000 70, pounds offered for albino. 7,000 pounds. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, offered <laughs> for albino body parts can be too tempting. In the documentary Born Too White, Chikombozo Masina meets with the killers of his brother Fletcher. I love how his name is like the most complicated thing possible, and his brother's just named Fletcher. <laughs> his Fletcher brother had been Steve. murdered with a machete, and brains, liver, heart, kidneys, and lungs were ripped out. Jeez. A man who is said to have killed Messina's brother told the documentary, quote, I was sent by some people who wanted this to happen. Herbert Malloy was apparently paid 45 pounds and 50 cents or pence, whatever you call it in English, England, whatever. Don't quote me on any of this, people. We've established I'm stupid, okay, to kill Fletcher. He added, quote, there was a person with us giving out instructions what was needed from the body. The rest was no good. That's what we did. The NHS doctor who appeared in 24 hours in A&E found skin cancer to be additional danger. Just 2% of Tanzanian albinos survived beyond their 40th birthday. Damn, I didn't know that. He said, quote, the prejudice I encounter is insignificant compared to what I discovered in Africa, where having albinism can be a death sentence, end quote. But the lack of melanin in albino skin makes them par- uh, particularly wary of the sun in southern Africa. Last year, Amnesty International said the macabre trade is also fueled by the belief that the bones of people with albinism contain gold. Wow. Noting another belief that 
is that the sex with uh, that sex with a person with albinism can cure HIV. Duke explained which doctors are revered by many in the rural communities. Some spread the belief that albino body parts can bring luck and fortune. Some albinos choose to live outside of the rural community. Rural, rural. God, I hate that. I know word. that's a brutal one. Outside of their rural communities, instead of protectorates for their own safety, but also because parents are ashamed of their children. These Tanzanian establishments are often not up to scratch, and the British doctor acknowledges them to be grim. With children as young as three in shared dorms, Duke reflects that at least they are safe. Good lord. I mean, you know, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, tang, walla, walla, bing, bang. I mean, that's all I have to say about that, you know. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor something, something to I say. Oh. Uh, Anything? <laughs> Nothing? Okay. All right. Well, that was it's, uh, it's awkward. I don't think I've heard that song. You never heard that? You never heard that song? What song is that? It, that It's like a Disney song. It's like, I told the witch doc. No, it, it's not a Disney song. It's uh, some other old song that's probably racist nowadays. But No, I've never heard that song before. Yeah. Here we have another. I'm, I'm just going to share this real quick because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, this is, this is definitely weird. This is not the normally way, not normal way you treat a cat, uh, for, uh, an illness. <laughs> Vets save poison cat's life by giving him a bottle of vodka to drink. Wow. Vodka. Svetka. Rescuers managed to save the life of a little black cat who was poisoned with antifreeze by giving him some vodka. The kitty was given the spirit after he discovered in after he was discovered in an almost terminal state. The tomcat, who has now been renamed Tipsy, <laughs> gulped down vodka after vets from the Australian RSPCA battled to save his life. Fortunately, their methods worked, and he survived. Vodka is a common antidote for antifreeze, the ABC News Network reported. However, so few cats actually make it to the vet in time that it's rare for the spirit to be used. Tipsy was also lucky that the apparently fun-loving rescue staff had a bottle of vodka stashed away. Luck was heavily on his side when our inspectors brought him in to us just in the nick of time, our SPCA vet Sarah Canther told the broadcaster. It just so happened that one of our nurses had a bottle of vodka laying around, so we were able to administer it just in time to save his life. <laughs> I don't know how that cat's little liver could process... Well, I just, they just had a bottle of vodka. Just, one of the nurses just happened to have a bottle of vodka laying around. Well, that's that in and of itself is not that un- you know that's not that crazy to me. But uh, well, it is to me. It's a, it's a why are you why do you have vodka at work at the vet? Have you ever met a nurse? They're uh, yeah. They're 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 fun loving people. <laughs> it just so happened that one of our nurses had a bottle of vodka. The vodka was diluted. Before being given the tipsy, he was diluted through an IV drip in a bid to metabolize the absorption of the antifreeze in his body. Tipsy, had, who had acute renal failure, is now expected to make a full recovery thanks to the Animal Emergency Hospital in Wakal, Queen, Queensland. However, the lucky black cat has no known owners and may, be up, may have to be put up for adoption. Disturbingly, antifreeze is a common method people use to kill cats because they are attracted to, to the sweet tasting liquid. It can take just a few agonizing hours for the cat to die. It's also a popular way to kill people if you've watched any uh, true crime shows recently. Yep. Yep. 
All right, let's move on to our final thing here, and then I got to zip out of the door faster than a... I don't know. I can't think of any analogy at this moment. Um, faster than the Flash? Sure, that works. Um, Ash- Ashatosh Maharaj. Followers win fight to keep Guru in freezer. An Indian court has granted permission for the followers of a long-dead spiritual guru to preserve his body in a freezer. Ashutosh Maharaj, founder of the sect Divya Jyoti Jagriti Sanshtant, which means Divine Light Awakening Mission, died of a suspected heart attack in January 2014. But his followers insist he is only meditating deeply (laughs) and will one day return to life. Sounds like the crazy stuff you heard with the Halley's Comet people, you know, the people who thought that, you know, we commit suicide on this date, we'll go on this comet and go into a better place and sort of yeah. like Heaven's Gate. Yeah, the Heaven's Gate. A lot of that cult. going on here. Uh, they have kept his body in a commercial freezer at his vast ashram in uh, Punjab. What the fuck's an ashram? Anyway, uh, the judgment by Punjab and Haryana High Courts ends a three-year-old dispute between the guru's disciples and Dalip Kumar Jha, who claims to be his son. Mr. Jha has sought permission to cremate the guru's body in line with Hindu rituals. In rejecting his plea, the court set aside a 2014 judgment that had ordered the guru's cremation after doctors confirmed him clinically dead. Mr. Jha's lawyer told AFP... Uh, it was unclear whether the court had agreed with the sex argument that its founder was alive. Mr. Maharaj first established his sect in Jalandhar, Punjab, in 1983 to promote self-awakening and global peace. Over the years, it attracted millions of followers across the world and amassed properties worth an estimated $120 million. In India, the U.S., South America, Australia, the Middle East, and Europe. The heavily guarded 100-acre ashram, I guess ashram must be like some kind of mansion or or something like that, in Punjab, where the guru has been kept, is just one sign of his vast financial assets. Mr. Jha was accused of the guru's disciples of retaining his body as a ploy to keep control of his wealth. Shortly after his death in 2014, the guru's spokesman Swami Vishanand told the BBC, He is not dead. Medical science does not understand things like yogic science. We will wait and watch. We are confident that he will come back. Hmm. My God, it is cold in here. Oh, it feels like an ice cube in this freezer. Oh, my God. Oh, they've done this to me again, those bastards. Hello, I'm not dead. Let me out. Oh, my God. This is going to be very unfortunate to try to use a restroom in these circumstances. Yeah, that's uh, that's fucking nuts. Um, but you know, it that's what wa- happens when you have people who are blindly, not necessarily blindly following somebody, but somebody who it, it's a very large following. You know, it's, it's a cult type of following, and when you have people who have been following this guy for so long, and you know, that's their way of, I guess. Hanging on to him. I mean, you got after you, his death. You got Walt Disney's head in a freezer. So I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. It's gonna break out, and it's gonna go look for uh, that little that Gonzalez boy or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I just want out of curiosity. I've just looked up uh, eight people uh, who have been cryogenically preserved. Um, so 
are these people anybody that we know of and no they are not so i'm not going to read them uh okay gang that's all the time we have for today's podcast i hope you enjoyed it if you want consider supporting us on patreon again it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries consider liking us on facebook facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries and for more me and mike separate but equal consider subscribing to us on our individual youtube channels mike's is youtube.com slash ocp communications he's the movie guy he tears into movies he spares no expense he rips them new assholes and sometimes he uh praises them for for their good uh you know artistic uh masterfulness jesus that was rough um, so if, I praise them for their quality. They, you know, there you yeah. go. So if Mike says a movie is good, you can pretty much take it to the bank because he doesn't really. He tends to not like a lot of movies. <laughs> no, I mean I I, I like. It's not necessarily true, but um, more more often than not, you're dissing a movie than you're saying that you like it. Well, n- well, it depends. It really does depend. I mean, but then again, I guess from a, a YouTuber standpoint, it's more interesting to talk about a movie that's bad than it is to sit there and say, this movie was great. I really liked this movie. Blah, 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 blah. So maybe you go out and... The you- views reflect that, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so that, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, who, who wants to sit there and, you know, praise... I'm telling you, man, people like negativity. It's sad, but true. Like people. Well, certain people don't like it, though, especially if you're negative about a popular movie. Well, yeah. The amount of crazy comments I got from Wonder Woman fans was just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I could have seen. I could have told you that. A bunch of grown ass men whining, complaining. How many times did you get called a sexist? Not not once. They were just being saying things like, you suck. I hate you. You deserve to die, get the death penalty for not liking this movie. You know, create crazy shit like that. Mm. And my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. Um, I do all kinds of stuff. My most recent video that I put a lot of work into anyway was uh, comparing Adam Sandler's comedy CDs from the 90s. Did you know that he had comedy CDs? Well, he does, and they are very, very vulgar. They are like rated NC-17 here, folks. This is some... Uh, this is not his family stuff. So if you want to learn more, more learn more about that, uh, add me on YouTube. And actually, I'm getting ready to release a new skit about the healthcare industry. And I think it's going to be one of my funniest skits that I've released yet. Uh, it's a skit, so you know he's got some great vlogs too that he's done recently. Thank you, Mike. I do one ranting w- about the lawnmower man. Uh, yeah, if you want to know about the lawnmower man saga, soliciting and all of that. Yeah, and I I, I also do a video where I profile uh, my unsolved mysteries tattoo sleeve that I have on my left arm. I actually have a portrait of Robert Stack tattooed on my left arm. So if you want to see that, that's also on my cha- on my YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Dancing with Ghosts. I gotta run and do a karaoke gig. I hope you beautiful people out there are doing well, and I hope that you make it to see us to next Wednesday, and I hope we make it too, and nobody dies. That was really dark and (laughs) random. Why the fuck did I say that? Jesus. No longer have me be in charge of the outros, Mike. How about that? Uh, Yeah, uh, okay. I'll agree with that. Uh, We'll see you guys uh, next week, and uh, enjoy yourselves. Toodaloo. See ya.
What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, if you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you. But uh, yeah, it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff. So uh, if you want to go out and check that out, then uh, like I said, search iTunes anywhere else. Uh, music is sold online or go to bandcamp.com and search Dancing with Ghosts. Thank you. I guess he's. I, I get dude, this guy's not really helping me here, but he's just like uh, he. He decided to. We I guess, just go back home. Yeah, thirty-five fifty. Okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, and and real quick, I also need to. I'll get back to it. This is your editing anyway. I need to use the facility real quick. So go for it. Thank you. Hey guys, did you know that Mike is only human? So it looks like I'm just here, awkwardly. Um, yeah, so uh, what's going on, everyone? You know what I'm doing right now, folks? I am clipping my fingernails. Um, I'm looking forward to the Philly cheesesteak that I'm going to eat after this podcast, and I'm also going to get some ice cream from a place called Maggie Moo's at the uh, Orange Park Mall. It's basically like marble slab creamery or cold stone creamery where they take the ice cream and they mix a bunch of shit in there, and um, it's delicious. I mean, it is like um, crack. I've never smoked crack, but if I had, I would imagine it would taste like... uh, well, I don't know. Would it taste like this ice cream? It wouldn't taste like it. I guess it would give you the same feeling of being high. Thank God I don't... What? Huh? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going on here, Mike. <laughs> Talking about the okay. ice ice cream that I'm going to eat after this uh, podcast. Mmm. Yum. Delicious. And I was I was saying that it was like, like crack, but then I was like, well, it doesn't taste like crack. And then I'm thinking like, well, what does crack taste like? And... Then I decided... Yeah, exactly, because that's the kind of stuff it's like... Oh, it's like crack for me. I I guess people say it's like crack in terms of the addictive part of taking crack. Well, I finally decided upon that they're talking about the feeling that crack gives them. Yeah, exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's the feeling that that it gives them, and that's why they keep going back for it. Like Lay's... Lay's Wavy Lay's potato chips are are my my mom's crack. Dude... Which is funny when she says that. If I eat too many of those... uh, Potato chips, man, just one after the other. I start getting kind of like, I don't know, like a headache or something. Like, like I don't know, MS, too much MSG or something. 
But anyway, yeah, uh, I couldn't really focus. Like you, you know, you know how that gets sometimes. Like you, you have to go, and then you're just like you're just that's all you're thinking about. And then no, and just, no, I don't know. I've, n- I've never made a mistake on this podcast. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so um, I think you mark it down for another. Uh, it's my bad, um, but I, I I have to like eat something like real quick because I'm starting to like get like faint and stuff like that. So it's just like a quick like bar or something like that. All right. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and play a I guess a song then. All right. Sorry, I don't know how the rest of that song goes. No matter how, how far Shit Couldn't be much more from the heart 
forever trust in who we are and nothing else matters never open myself this way life is ours we live it our way all these words I don't just say And nothing else matters Yeah, and see, that's all I know. That's what sucks about me as a person. I don't know. I don't know. What, what, other, what other songs do I know? Then he's gonna beat his meat I said Mike has to eat Then he's gonna beat his meat I don't believe That he's just eating I think he's beating his meat He's wasting my time He's pissing me off I think I might try to kill him Well, I think I might try to kill him Mike has to eat But he's secretly beating his meat Yeah, Mike is beating his meat He said he has to eat, but I don't Get your ass back here and do the fucking podcast. Do the fucking podcast. Do the fucking podcast. The people have paid and they want some entertainment. Mike is beating his meat. He told me he had to eat. I don't Now this is where I'd be a do like a guitar solo. Taking his sweet time.
All right. Oh, he's back. I wrote a whole song about you eating your meat or beating your meat <laughs> and eating. <laughs> really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. <laughs> All right, I got like 25 more minutes, and then I got a ski daddle. All right. All right, so uh, let's go into this next case here of Terra Calico. Mike thinks it's Calico, like ColecoVision. <laughs> Maybe that's why. I just want to. I just want to talk about ColecoVision. Oh, I don't know uh, why. This is... That's a hor- That was a horrible system. <laughs> anyway, uh, some people might disagree. I can't stand those. Before the Nintendo Entertainment System ki- came out, the graphics were too bad for me to play. Uh, uh-huh. They were just. I don't know. That's a whole other story. I'm no storyteller.